Well, that is a, a sobering prayer, isn't it? I hope that was what was going on in your heart as you were singing the words that these are, this was, a, was a, a prayer. You were asking God to do these things, making you receptive and responsive to the Word of God. And that's a, a prayer we should pray every Sunday, uh, every time we come uh, before His Word, that uh, we would have open and receptive hearts and that we would not just be hearers of the Word, uh, but doers, right? And so I want to invite you to take your Bibles back, uh, back to, with me and t- turn back to Romans 14, uh, Romans 14 and, and really 15. This was the last section that we studied together a couple of weeks ago uh, in the book of Romans. Those of you who are, might be visiting uh, today, uh, we have been going through the book of Romans for the last several years now, and we're uh, just wrapping up the the, the actual instruction section of the letter, and we're about to get to the, the conclusion and kind of the, some of the salutary remarks that he makes at the end, but this uh, section here in Romans 14 uh, starts in ver- verse 1 of Romans 14, and it goes all the way to chapter 15, verse 13, uh, is one of the most helpful and practical uh, portions, uh, not just of, of the book of Romans, but of the entire New Testament. And, and so I don't want to run off too quickly uh, from this because I think there's so much for us to meditate on and consider and apply. And, uh, and so I'd like to do that this morning, uh, just to linger a bit longer uh, in this text or at least uh, uh, with, with thoughts from this text. Um, but if you remember, I titled this section uh, Christian Liberty and Unity because what Paul was doing here in chapters 14 and 15, uh, is what he was explaining uh, to those he was writing to, the Christians in Rome, how they can achieve and, and uh, maintain unity in a lot of the diversity of their personal opinions, uh, their personal preferences, their personal convictions and matters pertaining to our freedom in Christ. Uh, another fitting title could have been Grace in Gray Areas. And uh, maybe that's, um, I guess if there was just one point to be made, is when it comes to gray areas, be gracious to one another. Because um, that's not what was happening in the house churches in Rome. And, and Paul was essentially instructing the, the Jewish believers and the Gentile believers to be gracious to one another when it came to matters that are up for debate um, the word used in verse 1 of chapter 14 is um, not passing judgment on opinions. Some of you might have in your versions disputable matters or debatable matters. The point was that these believers, again, Jewish believers, Gentile believers, coming from two totally different religious backgrounds, um, upbringings, uh, experiences, they had landed in different places when it came to eating certain foods and observing certain days. And rather than being gracious toward those who had come to a different conclusion or who had a different conviction regarding these secondary matters, they were judging each other. They were looking down on each other. They were being inconsiderate of each other. And rather than being willing to just lovingly defer to one another, they were offending each other and causing others to stumble into sin and thus dividing and destroying the church. And sadly, that same attitude exists in many churches today, particularly in churches like our church. What I mean by that is that Bible churches typically live up to their name by staunchly holding to a high view of Scripture and faithfully preaching God's Word without compromise and earnestly calling people to live their lives according to biblical standards, period, God said it in his word, we do it. Whether we like it or not, whether we agree with it or not, it's what God says, and so we do it. Consequently, Bible churches tend to attract a lot of people who are very black and white. Have you noticed that? I'm talking about most of us, okay? We're very black and white in our beliefs and our convictions, and we expect everyone else to think and live exactly like we do. 
We despise the situational ethics and relativism in our society, which denies the existence of absolute truth and claims that since there's no clear right and wrong, everyone can decide what's right and wrong for them, and everyone must not only tolerate, but also accommodate everyone else's opinion and lifestyle. You hate that, don't you? However, we need to understand that while the Bible clearly commands and condemns certain beliefs and certain practices, making them unarguably right or wrong, there are a lot of things that the Bible doesn't directly address or explicitly say are right or wrong. These are what we would call gray areas. A gray area is anything that is not black and white. It's not a black and white issue. It's, it's a non-moral non-essential matter of the conscience. In other words, God gives each of us the freedom to decide whether or not things are right or wrong for us based on how our conscience convinces us or convicts us. Some examples of gray areas would be food. Should we abstain from certain kinds of food? Some believe that the Old Testament dietary laws, uh, while they may not be uh, you know, applying to us today, they're still a good idea. Um, they still apply to God's people today or should, so we shouldn't eat pork, uh, we shouldn't eat shellfish, we shouldn't uh, have caffeine, uh, we, we shouldn't eat meat on Fridays. I'm just going to go on record saying that bacon is victory meat, okay? <laughs> we can eat bacon because Jesus died on the cross, okay? And we're living under the new covenant, all right? So enjoy that bacon. Um, I just share with you my personal conviction and my personal preference, right? Uh, we talked about drinking, right? Some think it's a sin to drink alcohol of any kind. It's a sin to have a beer. It's a sin to have a glass of wine. It's a sin to drink a margarita. Um, dancing. It's a sin to go dancing. I think it would simply come down to what kind of dancing are you talking about, right? Um, movies. Some believe that movies in general are evil and you shouldn't watch movies. Um, they're worldly. Or, or maybe you just refuse to watch certain movies based on their rating. Like, this is, my, this is the line I draw on the sand, and my line may be different from the other person's line. Or Sunday activity. Some think it's wrong to do anything except go to church and take a nap on Sunday, as if taking a nap was spiritual, I guess. I don't know. Um, but there are some Sabbatarians, right, who say, hey, Sunday is the Lord's day. We're going to keep it for that and that alone. And so um, it, it's offensive that uh, others will maybe go play soccer or go shopping or go to the mall or who knows what. That's off limits for them. I knew one guy when newspapers were still a thing uh, actually said, I get my Sunday newspaper and I don't open it till Monday morning because I want to keep my mind focused on the Lord all day and I don't want to let worldly thoughts come into my mind on Sunday. And I respected the guy for that. But sometimes I'd read my Sunday paper even before I got to church. So um, shows you where I stand on that. Gambling would be another uh, gr potential gray area. Whether or not you should play poker, you know, uh, Texas Hold'em or whatever, right? I mean, come on, it's got Texas in the word in the name. You can't, can't, can't be too sinful, right? It's got to be good, right? Playing slot machines. There's some people that have no problem. Christians going to Vegas and, 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 and pulling a lever on a machine and watching little things come up, right? If they have the money and they're, they're, they're doing it in a way that, uh, you know, they're not being, um, I guess, um, uh, wasteful or, or um, I mean, some, some could make the argument, hey, what's the difference between spending $20 on, you know, some ammo, you know, and $20 in a slot machine or $20 here, right? I mean, you could make an argument back and forth. Smoking. Or dipping. See, we are in the South, right? You've got to include dipping in that. Um, some, some Christians think it's a sin to roll up some tobacco in, 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 in paper and light them on fire and put them in your mouth. Or to put some tobacco between your cheek and gum and every once in a while spit it in a cup. You know, that's, uh, is that right or wrong? Is that, uh, or hairstyles. Guys shouldn't have long hair. Some people do that. When I went to a school, the first college I went to, you had to have the, no guys could have his hair touching his collar. We, we couldn't have any facial hair. I would have got kicked out of the Bible college I was going to because of my goatee, right? I, I couldn't have that at the time. Um, or that, that a woman, it's, it's sin for a woman to have short hair. Some would feel that way. Clothing. Um, 
certain styles of clothing people think are sinful. It's something it's inappropriate for women to wear pants, especially at church functions, right? So they have to wear skirts or they have to wear culottes, which to me are more sinful than, 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 than skirts, right? I mean, who wants to wear those? But, um, uh, you know, a woman's dress needs to be at least two inches below her knees. And I know of ins- Christian institutions where uh, girls will walk in to, 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 the, to, the, to the college or the school and they'll, they'll make them kneel down to make sure that their skirt's touching the ground or they have to go home and change. Um, how about makeup and jewelry? Um, some think it's more spiritual if you don't wear lipstick or any kind of makeup or any kind of jewelry. Um, it's a sin to get your ears pierced or to get a tattoo or... How about music? That's always a controversial one, right? There, there are certain styles of music are, are clearly sinful, like jazz music because it's so sensual, and, or rap music, all that gangster rap, right? That's, that's so ungodly, or rock music, or, or certain instruments are evil, like drums, you know, or evil, or the electric guitar, you know, um, or the, the saxophone, man. You can't play a saxophone in church. That's just really ungodly, um, as if the organ and the piano were the only instruments that's going to be in heaven, right? Um, how about swimming? Um, you're like, swimming? What's up with swimming? Well, I'm just telling you, my background, I grew up around um, uh, certain Baptist denominations that were very strict, and they were against mixed bathing. And I was like, well, I'm against mixed bathing too, but I'm talking about going in the swimming pool, not a bathtub, okay? Uh, <laughs> But that's how they, they called it mixed bathing, and, and it was a big deal. I remember I worked at a camp one summer as a staff guy, and our job was to, you know, fix anything that broke and unclog the toilets and mow the grass and, you know, whatever, weed whack and all that kind of stuff. And so one, one group would come every summer. We always knew when they were coming, and we, we just kind of got a kick out of this group that would come, and it was a Baptist group and, and a really strict denomination. And so every day the, the, they would have, you know, chapel time where they would hear teaching from God's word and they would also have activity time and one of the activities was swimming. And so every day, this is how it went. They got on the, the, the microphone that, that, you know, the speaker that went through the whole camp. Okay, guys, all the guys need to be up in the chapel. Okay, guys, hurry up. Everyone needs to get to the chapel. Come on, guys, let's go. Chapel. Everyone in the chapel. Girls, do not come out of your cabins until all the guys are in the chapel. And they're saying this over the loudspeaker and we're all going, what? Okay, guys, make sure you're in the chapel. Okay, counselors, do we have all the guys in the chapel? Ladies, do not leave your dorm, your cabin until we tell you to. And they're going swimming, right? The girls are going. So I'm thinking, I'll be in the staff because what are these girls going to be wearing? You know, we're thinking, what? So we're like peeking around going, what's going to happen now? Again, they're making these guys, making a big deal. Well, okay, girls, you can go to the swimming pool now. And they came out, and they were, like, wrapped from head to toe in towels and coverings. And I'm like, what in the world is going on? And uh, they even had an issue with, with one of our staff guys was the lifeguard. And because he was a guy, they didn't want him there doing his job as lifeguard. So we had to figure out some girl that would, knew how to save somebody's life if one of these girls got in trouble, right? But it was just interesting um, uh, how, how some people had very strong convictions about that stuff. And... Um, or maybe that's not your issue, but maybe it's the discussions you've had about, hey, should, should you, know, you wear a one-piece or a two-piece? Is a bikini, can a Christian wear a bikini to the pool, to the beach, right? All those kinds of discussions. And uh, we, we all know that Speedos are out, guys, okay? That's just ungodly, all right? So don't even go there. But the discussion about girls you can talk about, right? There's a discussion there. Um, but, you know, all these things, I'm just bringing up these things, they all have one thing in common. The Bible doesn't forbid any of them. Most of these things are simply based on traditions and taboos, really, of our Western culture, and in many cases are irrelevant in a foreign context. And I don't, I don't want to stretch the, the analogy, but going to the pub in Europe could be likened to us going to Starbucks. I mean, that's just kind of the way they live there, and, and ordering a pint or a, a, a glass of wine is like us ordering sweet tea here in Texas. I mean, it's like the, you know, do you want water or tea, right? It's like, do you want beer or wine? That's just kind of the culture. And yet some Christians have such strong convictions about these things and, and, and they, they end up making them as binding rules um, and they impose them on everyone else. 
And it's what we talked about early on here in the series, what you could call legalism or Pharisaism. And that is when a person makes their own personal preferences and convictions binding on everyone else. And they use them as a standard by which they judge other people's holiness or spirituality. And, and the Pharisees started off as a, as a good intent. They, they were really a holiness movement. They were a group of Jews that just wanted to, they saw that the, the nation had just gone far away from the Lord and they weren't being holy the way God wanted them to be holy. And so they said, hey, let's be holy. Let's be pure. Let's get back to who God wanted us to be. And unfortunately, they, they went beyond the scriptures and they added to God's word and they, they, they came up with all, all these other rules and regulations and they put them along the same level as Scripture. They put them as equal to Scripture. And that's why when Jesus came, he said things like this in Matthew 59, you hypocrites teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. You made up all these rules and and you put them on the people. Luke 11, 46, woe to you for you weigh men down with burdens hard to bear. Colossians 2, 20, Paul uh, rebuked the, the Colossians uh, believers. He says, why do you submit yourself to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men? These are man-made rules, not God's rules. And then, of course, 1 Timothy 4, uh, Paul confronted hypocritical men who, quote, forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be graceful, gratefully shared by those who believe and know the truth. Interesting, nowhere in the scriptures does it say that a a man in the ministry or a woman in the ministry should not get married. And and yet there's a whole section of Christendom, Christianity, that has set that as the standard, that if you're a priest, if you're a nun, you can't get married. And they forbid you from doing that. And obviously it's led to a lot of problems, hasn't it? Um, Because it was a a man-made rule exalted or elevated to the level of, of, of scripture. Some of you, I imagine, grew up in this kind of oppressive, perhaps hypocritical, legalistic environment where your pastors and or your parents had all these rules and regulations about all these things. And some of you rebelled against them as soon as you got out from under the authority of those who had imposed them on you. Some of you are still carrying those burdens around with you and holding yourself to what I would call not necessarily unbiblical standards, but extra biblical standards. And God never intended for any of us to, to live under this kind of, uh, of, of legalistic, burdensome system made up of human rules and regulations. But at the same time, God doesn't want us to think that we can do whatever we want when it comes to gray areas. Even though the Bible contains no specific prescriptions or prohibitions about these types of things, it does contain principles that apply to these things. And these principles guide us in developing our personal convictions and they govern us as we use our individual Christian freedom. And since a number of these principles are found here in Romans 14 and 15, I thought it would be appropriate, it would be applicable to wrap up this little mini-series on Christian liberty and unity by pulling together all these biblical principles uh, into a simple list of practical questions that you can ask yourself that will help you decide whether or not you should do something. And it's not my intention this morning to be the Holy Spirit and tell you what you should or shouldn't do. These are things that you have to grapple with in your own heart and your own conscience. And so I've titled this morning's message, Guidance in Gray Areas. Hopefully we've already got the grace in gray areas. That was really the point of uh, bottom line of chapter 14 uh, through chapter 15, verse 13 was, hey, be gracious in the gray areas. Okay, great. I got that. But now help me. Give me some guidance in the gray areas. And so that's what I want to do this morning. So if you didn't pick up 
uh, one of the outlines this morning, uh, it would, this would be really helpful for you to have it. I wouldn't mind if you jumped out of your chair right now and ran back and got one uh, because it'll be easier for just to, instead of trying to write them all down yourself, you have them in front of you. Um, but if you're crazy enough, you can try to take notes, all right? But uh, make sure you grab one on your way out because I think it will help you. And be, it's one of those ones that you can kind of stick in your Bible and kind of use it, uh, try to make it a useful uh, tool that uh, you could get some, has, has some shelf life, if you will, okay? Uh, you could pull it out fr- from time to time and u- reuse it. So what, what are these uh, principles? What are these principles um, or questions regarding gray areas? The first one is expedience. Expedience, and we're just going to look at some verses uh, again that that complement, supplement what we've already learned in in First Corinthians, or excuse me, in Romans uh, fourteen and fifteen. In fact, we've already looked at some of these verses, but hopefully, we'll just be able to be reminded of them. First Corinthians chapter six, verse twelve. Paul says, "All things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable." All things are lawful for me. In other words, he's talking about all things that are lawful are lawful. In other words, the things that that aren't clearly black and white, okay? So he's talking about things that are not inherently sinful. So in other words, I have permission to do these things. That's another way that this verse is translated. All things are permissible. Those things that are permissible, that aren't clearly sinful, um, he says, uh, not all things are profitable. Not, not, all, not everything is to my advantage. And so we need to ask ourselves questions like, is this, is this going to be to my advantage spiritually if I do this? Will this produce or cultivate in me godliness or, or uh, ungodliness or, or, or worldliness? Will this result in, in, in spiritual apathy or vitality? So... You have a decision. Should I go watch this movie? Should I watch this TV series or show? A lot of questionable TV shows out there, and you, you get into a group of Christians, and you, you'd be surprised at some of the TV shows Christians are watching, and you're like, wow, really? You watch Game of Thrones? And, oh, you really? You watch this or you watch that? And it's like, oh, yeah, I love that. And really, okay. So you've had to make a decision at some point how that's okay for you and your conscience. So, or should you listen to that radio station? Or uh, should you stay up late? Should you sleep in? I mean, these are the kind of decisions just that, that hey, it's permissible, but is it, is it profitable? So this, here's the question, bottom line question. Will it benefit me spiritually? That's the question you got to ask yourself. Will this benefit me spiritually? Okay. Now, again, be balanced. There's some things that you're like, well, I mean, it's really um, a gray area. It's not going to benefit me or hurt me either way. It's just more fun. It's just more entertaining. It's whatever. And, and so there's a balance in there. But again, the driving question should be, will it benefit me spiritually? Okay? In other words, I don't want you to get in your head that, well, everything I do has to have a spiritual purpose. Right? Because there's some things that God says in First Timothy chapter six, God just given us all things to enjoy. And and sometimes it's just for enjoyment purposes. And that can be spiritual. If you're giving thanks to God and you're giving him glory, then that essentially that is a spiritual thing. So will it benefit me spiritually? Secondly, is enslavement. Enslavement. And the question here is, will it enslave me? And we get this from that same verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. All things are lawful or permissible for me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful or permissible for me, but I will not be, what? Mastered by anything. And there's a lot of things that a lot of Christians are mastered by, controlled by, addicted to. Alcohol, drugs, maybe not cocaine and heroin, and I'm talking about maybe, maybe prescription drugs, nicotine, caffeine, sugar. There, I said it. I know I'm meddling now. Um, TV, social media. 
It's not as common, but there are some people that are slaves to exercise or shopping, spending money. So the question you have to ask yourself, is it right or wrong for me to do this? Well, is it, will it enslave me? Is there any way I could get addicted uh, to it or be controlled by it? The four most dangerous words that could ever come out of your mouth are this. You ready? I can handle it. I can handle it. And, and we're, we're, we're good at thinking that, right, and saying that. And uh, I'll never forget a, a conversation that I had with my parents one evening at the dinner table. This was back when I was in high school. And uh, I can remember it like it was yesterday. I can see it in our little round table in our little kitchen back in Massachusetts. And uh, my buddies were going to this movie. I think it was a Friday night, and they were all going, all my buddies were going, they were going to a movie. And it was a, and it was a war movie. And it was R-rated. And uh, that was just not something that we did as a family. That just, you know, we didn't go see R-rated movies. And so, but I wanted to, 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 to go with my buddies, right? And it was kind of a different kind of an R rating. We knew it was about the violence and perhaps the language, uh, war, classic war movie, right? Uh, it wasn't the sex or anything like that, but it was probably the language and the violence. And so, so I was making an appeal to my parents why I should be able to go to see that movie. And I was... And, and I basically said, hey, I, I'm around that stuff every day. I went to public high school. I was in the locker room. I played sports. I was around all sorts of cussing and F-bombing and you name it. I heard it all day, every day. Uh, and so I said, to make my case, I can handle it. And I'll never forget my dad coming out of his chair and saying, you can't handle it. And I was like, whoa. And... Uh, even having said that, because I was in my later teen years, I think I was a senior in high school at the time, my parents gave me the, the, uh, the freedom to make that decision. They didn't make that decision for me. They were just providing me wise, strong counsel, <laughs> what I should or shouldn't do. But I appreciated that, and I never forgot that conversation. Um, the point is, we need to not put ourselves in situations that might become addictive. We need to train ourselves not to be controlled by anything. And there may be things that are okay to do, but you choose not to do them so you won't become dependent on them. In other words, you ask yourself, will this potentially become habit forming? And one good way to test whether or not you're controlled by something or you're addicted to something or you're enslaved by something is, is try to fast from it. Chris was teaching this morning about fasting, and he was talking more about fasting from food, right? But you could do a fast really for anything. It's just, it's just denying yourself whatever it is that you crave. And, and see if you can go without it for a week or a month. I would challenge some of you young people to, to hand off your phone to your parents for a week and see if you can survive without having that phone in your hand 24-7, right? Um, that's very addictive. We don't even realize how, how our, 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 our devices have become so addicting and so controlling of us. And it's, and it's become acceptable. We all have, every time you turn around, somebody's got their cell phone in their hand and they're looking like this all the time, right? It's just, it's, it's just our society. And so you can find out really quick whether or not you're a slave to something. Okay, now we'll get to meddling here, okay? So maybe, maybe you need to try to go a day without a cup of coffee or that beloved soda, right, that you drink a can of every day or whatever, or sweets or, again, we talked about cell phone or your tablet. How about... Fasting from Facebook or Instagram or cigarettes or chewing tobacco, right? You say, hey, I'm not, it's not a sin to do that. I'm like, hey, I, I agree with you. But if you have to do it, then it is sin because you've allowed yourself to be mastered by it. 
So again, none of these things are sinful in and of themselves, but being in bondage to them is sinful. And so enslavement is an important principle. Then thirdly is encumbrance. Encumbrance. Look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Familiar verse. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every, what? Encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And here is one of those classic analogies of the Christian life. Uh, the writer likens the Christian life to a race. And there are certain things that, that slow us down or trip us up. And notice he, he puts them in two categories. He, he, he says there's some things that are clearly sin, right, that we need to lay aside. But there's also a category called what? Encumbrances. It's, it's just bulky weight. It's the, you know, it's something that's not necessarily sinful, but it slows you down. It takes your focus off of Christ. It diverts your priorities. It distracts you. It sucks your spiritual energy. It dampens your enthusiasm for the things of God. It hinders your progress toward the goal of the upward call of God in Christ. Again, nothing inherently sinful about watching TV or, or even binging some favorite series of yours um, or scrolling through your feeds on your phone or your tablet. I mean, sometimes that takes a long time, right? I'm surprised our thumbs even work now because I watch my kids and they're just like, they're sitting there, I'm watching, I'm like, what are you looking at? They're flying through all this stuff. I'm like, what is all that stuff? Um, is, is, is that wrong to use your free time? You've worked hard all day or whatever. You've got your homework done or you've you got all your responsibilities taken care of. Is it wrong to sit down and relax and enjoy a, uh, your favorite TV show or sit there on your couch or in your lazy boy and kind of scroll through, you know, your stuff for three hours? Sometimes it's like three hours. You commit like three to four hours a night doing some of these things. Is that necessarily sinful? Not, not necessarily, but... Is that hindering you? Is that slowing you down? Is that really the best use of your free time? Is there something you could be doing that would be more productive and more profitable for your growth in Christ? Number four is equivocation. Equivocation, which basically means to lie or to falsify. That's a definition of to equivocate. It means to lie or to falsify. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 16. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 16. Act as free men. So Peter's encouraging, hey, don't be, uh, don't be uh, enslaved to, to the law and to legalism. Act as free men. You're free in Christ. But notice he says, do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as a bond slave of God. So that's the catch-22, the paradox, I guess, of the Christian life, that we go, we're no longer slaves of sin and slaves of, of rules and the law, but we become slaves of Christ. It's a different kind of slavery. So he says, act as free men, but don't use your freedom as a covering for evil. In other words, don't use your freedom to rationalize your sin. That would be the question. Will this, will doing this, watching this, going there, participating in this, will it rationalize my sin? In other words, you have, you, you could think to yourself, well, I'm free in Christ. I, I have the liberty to, to go to the beach or, or go to Vegas or go to the movie, right? But what do we often hear Others say, or even it's come out of our own mouth, oh, that was a great movie except for that one part, which apparently you heard or you watched. You didn't just go, la, 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 when it happened. You experienced that in the movie, and now you say, that yeah, was good except for, right? Well, was that just a covering or an excuse for you to sin? Listen, there, in this day and age, there's no reason to ever be surprised by something that you watch in a movie. You can know pretty much what's in that movie before you ever go in. 
because they have really good websites now where you can go on and uh, plugged in, for example, is great. They kind of tell you the content of, you know, what, what's the language like, what's the violence like, what's the sex con- sexual content like, right? You can know all that stuff ahead of time, which is very helpful in making decisions, right? Because how many times in the olden days, if you will, you walked into a movie and halfway through something was said or done and you're like, up, oh, we're out of here, Right? I'm sure all of us have walked out of a movie in our lifetime at one point or another. It should never have to happen now that if we take advantage of these resources. Paul's Paul's point here, or I should say Peter's point here, is that our liberty should never be a mask that we wear to cover our lusts. Galatians 5.13, For you were called to freedom, brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh but through love serve one another. Number five is edification. Edification, back to 1 Corinthians, which by the way, 1 Corinthians has a lot to say about gray areas. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23, here we have it again, Paul's a similar statement, all things are lawful, or permissible, some of your translations say all things are permissible, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. So the question is, will this build me up spiritually? Will this strengthen me? The, the word edify was a, a word used to describe building a house. We, we, oftentimes we call a house an edifice, right? Edify, building this building. 1 Corinthians 14, 26, let all things be done for edification. 2 Corinthians 12, 19, we do all things for upbuilding. And so you need to ask yourself like, questions like, will it contribute, will this contribute to a decreasing frequency of sin in my life? And the increasing frequency of righteousness in my life? Will, will this move me along the path of spiritual maturity? Will this strengthen my spiritual muscles, make me stronger? Will it help me become more like Jesus? I remember this came to bear in my own conscience when I was in high school in my first year of college. And, and um, you know, like I said, I grew up in, in, in a Christian home and my parents gave me uh, freedom to to choose things like what kind of music I was going to listen to, and I, you know, I listened to a lot of Christian rock music. That was kind of the era that I, I kind of grew up in, the '80s, and and so that was kind of the the first time music, uh, Christian music, was going in that direction. Of course, that was controversial at the time, right? And um, uh, but I also was listening to the secular music, and uh, uh, I'm confessing now. Okay, I'm, I'm dating myself, but I actually had record albums. Okay. <laughs> Okay, this was the day when you would like actually take the album out of the sleeve and put it on the turns. I know they're all coming back now. It's the cool thing now, right? It's a retro now to have a, a, a record player, but that was what I had. And I, I actually had Aerosmith's double album live bootleg, you know, open it up and there was an album over here and there's an album over here. It was like a prized possession, man, those days, right? And, and so I remember as I was reading God's word, and I was praying, and I was having my quiet time, and I was growing, and I was striving to be a better witness at school to my unbelieving friends and all my buddies that didn't know the Lord, and I wanted to be a light for Christ to them, and, and as I was growing in Christ and, and listening to more and more of this Christian music, and, and I thought, you know, I really can't justify listening to this secular music because it's really not helping me uh, become more like Christ. And in fact, if anything, it's, it's drawing my mind away from Christ and getting me to focus on things I shouldn't be focused on. And so I remember going down in my basement, my cellar back then, in, back in this, in this colonial home in New England, and going down in my cellar and taking that prized possession, my live bootleg, double album, Aerosmith, and breaking it in half, both of them, and chucking them in the trash. And that was just... My own personal conviction. I remember later, uh, the following year, there was still some other music I was listening to, and and I and I was I remember hearing a message that was really convicting and challenging. And one of the things that God pricked my conscience about was, "Hey, you're still listening to this music that's not really glorifying God and not helping you grow spiritually." And I remember taking some of my, I think at that time I had some cassette tapes. We were we were moving along here, okay? So I had cassette tapes at that point. I remember going down to a bonfire that they had at, the, at this uh, school, and I, and I threw those in the fire. And that was just, for me, I was like, I'm done with that stuff. Um, th- those aren't edifying. They're not building me up spiritually. 
again, that was what the Lord has done, has done in my heart, in my life. Um, that's, I'm not imposing my convictions, my preferences on you, but that was just an example of how God worked in my conscience as a young man. Uh, number six is evangelism. Uh, evangelism, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19. By the way, just so I don't appear to be a hypocrite, some of you have walked by my office here at the church and, and or came into the office center and, and all you heard was <laughs> coming out of my office. And, and so sometimes I'll actually, and, and I'm, again, I'm confessing here, I'll, I'll listen to uh, what they call trance music, right? What, why am I listening to that? It's got no words, right? It's just background noise. It's like white noise. Some people turn on their little wave machine or something. I know Chris has one of those. Little wave machine, you know, you drowns out the noise. I just turn that music out and it drowns. I can't hear what's going in the office center. I can't hear. I can just focus. I can concentrate. I'll actually be studying uh, with this. And people are like, what is, man, our pastor is so ungodly. What is he doing in there? Listening to that stuff. It's just white noise. Um, but uh, lyrics really kind of make or break the music, don't we? Don't they? I mean, we say that about our, the music we sing here at church. But evangelism, 1 Corinthians 9, verse 19, Paul said, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all so that I may win more. To the Jews I became as a Jew so that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law as under the law, though, though not myself being under the law. So that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law as without law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ. So that I might win those who are without law. To the weak I became weak and that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men so that I may by all means save some. I do all things for the sake of the gospel. He said the same thing in the next chapter, verse um, 32. Give no offense either to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many so that they may be saved. So what drove Paul was the gospel, was winning people to Christ. And so he didn't want to do anything that would somehow limit his audience, who he would have the opportunity to impact. And so every, every time we do something, we, we need to keep in mind that our testimony to the loss is at sake, that unbelievers are watching us. And I think the best witness that we can be is to be radically different from the rest of the world. First Peter 114, be holy for I am holy. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17, come out from among them. Be set apart. Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be, what, transformed by the renewing of your mind. Sadly, I think the mentality today is the best way to reach the world is to be like the world. In other words, if they like us, then they'll like Jesus. So let's be like the world, let's talk like the world, let's dress like the world, let's, right? But when we lose our distinction in the world, we also lose our ability to influence the world around us. And people may look at us and conclude, well, well why do I need Jesus? Because they're really no different than me. I really can't see a huge difference in their life. And I think the Bible teaches that when people see us as Christians living in the same mundane situation and, and going about the same mundane things as they do, but with a radically different set of values and a different perspective, they sit up and take notice and go, what's up with that? Why, they're so different. They're stuck in the same cubicle I am every day for nine hours a day all week, five days a week, but they're different. Something's different about them. And I think it's that radical difference that convicts the world of sin and draws them to Christ. Every time I read that verse where it says, to the weak I become weak, that I might win the weak, I become all things to all men, so that I may by all means save some. There's one experience that comes to my mind every time I read that. And it's an experience that I had when I was visiting uh, the stars in Albania years ago when they were uh, missionaries serving there. 
Um, I, they graciously invited me to come. Chris invited me to come and teach in the seminary there uh, and do, a, do a, a class on the Lord's Prayer. And um, I did a conference at the church as well. And so it was just a good opportunity to catch up with our missionaries. We were their sending church, so it was fun for me to go over there and uh, enjoy some time in, in their home and in their church and at the school. And, and uh, so one night, uh, Chris said, hey, uh, Shelly and I are going to be going to a wedding uh, my Muslim barber is getting married, and he's invited me to come to his wedding. And I've been sharing the gospel with him every time he cuts my hair. And so I think that Shell and I, we, even though we don't want to go, we're going to go because we want to be a good witness to this guy and hopefully have opportunities to share the gospel more in the future. And so he said, you don't have to come. I know you've been you know, teaching, and you're probably tired. And, and uh, so if you want to stay home, please feel free to do that. But we're going to go. And I said, oh, no, I think that sounds really fun. That sounds like a cultural experience. And they said, okay, then whatever you don't want to wear the rest of the time, wear that because it's going to smell like smoke. And they also, as they were leaving the house, I noticed them putting in earplugs. And I'm like, what are you guys doing that for? He says, oh, Ken, you you just wait. Um, These things are loud. And I'm like, do you want some air? No, I'm good. So we get there, we pull up, and we couldn't find a parking spot. It was at this little bar slash wedding venue out in the country, right on the edge of town, and there was really no place to park, so we had to park quite a ways away. And as soon as we opened the door, I mean, you could just hear the, this music was just pulsing, right? And I'm like, whoa, if we can hear it like that out here, And so sure enough, we walked up the stairs and we opened that door and we were hit with this wave of bass and this wave of smoke all at the same time. And uh, I said, oh, this is what you're talking about. (laughs) And so we walked in and of course they were so happy to see Chris and Shelly because they were like honored guests and they had someone from America from out of town. And so we became, you know, the, the honored guests of this wedding and they put us at this table right by one of the speakers and, uh, and, uh, and, and I tell you what, it was literally so loud, we had to use our note uh, app on our phones to write notes to each other. You could, you could scream in the person's ear and they couldn't hear what you were saying. It was that loud. It's crazy. And so we just nodded and smiled and, you know, to each other and the people because we couldn't speak, I couldn't speak Albanian. And then Chris leaned over, or I guess he, he texted me, he said, listen, if you don't want alcohol in your glass, uh, you better put some of that orange soda in it as quick as possible. Because, they, man, there was alcohol everywhere, beers handing out, everybody, so, and they're just lavishing you with alcohol as you come in. This is, you're our guest, and here, drink this, drink this. So anyway, then the dancing started, and it was very cultural dancing. It was kind of awkward, to be honest with you. It was guys were dancing with guys, and girls were dancing with girls, and they were in circles doing their thing and going around. If you ever watched my big fat Greek wedding, it was sort of like that, okay? Um, and so we were kind of chuckling and watching, and, and uh, I, I leaned over to Chris and Shell and said, hey, listen, it's only a matter of time before they're going to drag us out on this floor. You know it. We can't just sit here and smile, okay? And so sure enough, they came over and they grabbed Chris and Shelly out onto the dance floor. And I'm just getting, I say, I'm getting my cell phone out for this. And so I'm over in the back filming all this, and here's Chris and Shelly doing their little, uh, you know, whatever that was they were doing. But, and it was really comical. And I'm thinking, as long as I'm behind the camera, I'm safe. Right? Wrong. Okay, so after a while, Chris and Shelly sat down, and the, the brother of the groom, we decided that's who it is, right, Chris? The brother of the groom came over, pulls me out on the dance floor. And I'm like, okay, I want to be gracious, and right? So I'm out there with him, and so I don't have a clue what I'm doing out there. They're, and so he gets in front of me, and at this point, they got out of the circle. Now they're doing one-on-one dancing. So I'm dancing with this guy, and, and, and he's, he's showing me what to do, and I'm, I'm just trying to follow his moves, and he's doing this, and he's doing this. Uh, and so we're dancing, and, and uh, he's laughing, and, and I'm looking over at Chris and Shelly, and they're cracking up, and they're taking video of me now. And... Uh, and so next thing I know, the, guy's, uh, you know, the guy takes his tie off, and he's whipping it around his head like this. And I thought, well, I guess in, you know, when you're in Albania, do what the Albanians do. So I pull my tie off, and I was going to throw it away anyway because it smelled like smoke, just like they said, right? And I'm whipping around my head like this. And, and, uh, and then next thing you know, he starts unbuttoning his shirt. <laughs> and I thought, okay, this is where I draw the line, okay? 
And uh, I just kind of smiled and patted him, and I walked off. <laughs> I wasn't about to open my shirt and do the next step of this dance. And so, anyway, but, you know, after that, it was, it was you could tell it meant so much to that couple that was getting married that Chris and Shelly had gone to that wedding. Here, here they are, foreigners, missionaries, but they loved them. They cared enough. They had built a relationship with this couple, and they went and participated in their wedding. And yeah, there was a lot of worldly stuff happening, but you know what? That was their culture, and what do you expect? They were Muslims. They, they were just doing what Muslims do at weddings, right? And so I'll never forget, we left, and we got in the car, and we thought, man, let's pray. And so we just spent some time before we left praying for all those unbelievers and uh, for future opportunities for Chris with his barber. And uh, as we drove off, I thought, that was the coolest cultural experience I've ever had on the mission field where I saw this lived out, trying to become all things to all men in order to save some. And uh, so thanks for that memory, Styers. Uh, it's one of my favorites. And if you pay me some money, I'll actually show you the videos because I have them saved on my computer. So, but it'll cost you, okay? It'll cost you. So we're talking about evangelism here. Number seven is encroachment, encroachment. And we're back in Romans 14 for this one, and so I don't want to take too much time on this because we've already discussed this in depth, and that is the question is, will it violate my conscience? Will it violate my conscience? Another question you need to ask yourself, Romans 14, verse 22, the faith which you have, have as your own conviction before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves, but he who doubts is condemned if he eats because his eating is not from faith, and whatever is not from faith is what? Sin. Even something that's not sinful, if you do it and you think it's sinful, then it is sin for you because you're violating your conscience. And um, Paul made it clear in verse 14, I know I am convinced, or I know and am convinced in the Lord, Jesus, that nothing is unclean in and of itself, but to him who thinks anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. So Paul was essentially saying, if you remember, don't condemn Others for enjoying their freedom in Christ and don't look down on those who are constrained by their conscience not to do certain things. Don't be condescending. Don't be critical. God has given each one of us a conscience to keep us from sin. It's kind of our self-judging faculty. It, it tells us do this, don't do this. Or if we did something that we shouldn't do, it makes us guilty and, and, and that's so that we would re repent and seek forgiveness. And so really it's a restraint. It's a God-given restraint. That, that God has given us. And so uh, when we go against our conscience and uh, do things that our conscience tells us not to do, then we're ruining that Holy Spirit restraint in our life. We're really encroaching, that's the word encroachment there, we're encroaching on the Holy Spirit's territory in our lives through our conscience. And we never want to train ourselves to, 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 to ignore our conscience. We need to learn to listen to our conscience and not put pressure on someone else's, uh, someone else to violate their conscience. I mean, even our, even our government has a, has a category called a conscientious objector, right? Where it's from this principle, hey, we're not going to make you do something your conscience tells you not to do. So when in doubt, don't, is the principle. Number eight is example, example, and again, we talked about this in, in Romans 14, but 1 Corinthians 8, verse 7, really unpacks this in a more elaborate way, and this is the idea of stumbling. Will it cause others to stumble? That's a question we need to ask ourselves. 1 Corinthians 8, 7, however, not all men have this knowledge, but some being accustomed to the idol until now eat food as if it were sacrificed to an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled, but food will not commend us to God. We are neither the worse if we do not eat, nor the better if we do eat. In other words, at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter but take care that this liberty of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone sees you who have knowledge dining in an idol's temple, will not his conscience, if he is weak, be strengthened or eat, to eat things sacrificed to idols? For through your knowledge, he who is weak is ruined, the brother for whose sake Christ died. And so by sinning against the brethren and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food causes my brother to stumble, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause my brother to stumble. 
So in other words, we need to care about one another's spiritual life. And we should never put anybody in a situation where they're tempted to sin. I'll just say this, ladies, you've got the freedom to wear what you want to wear to church, to the pool, to the beach. And it may be cute and it may be stylish and it may be flattering, but you are killing us, guys. You just got to know that. You got to care about your brothers when you, when you get dressed. That it's just not about you looking cute and being stylish and what looks good on you. It's, hey, I got to take into account my, my brothers and not be a stumbling block. I told you that's why I personally have chosen not to drink. Not because I think it's a sin, um, but because I want to be an example. And I don't want to cause somebody to stumble. And somebody might see me having a beer or a glass of wine, which would be totally appropriate and, and, and fine to do. Um, but they might, and, and somebody would look at that and think, no big deal. Why don't you do that? But others would say, oh, a pastor does that. It must be okay. And I'm going to do it. And it may end up being the demise of their spiritual life, their family, their marriage. So there's certain things that you can just, uh, out of love uh, for your brother or sister, avoid. Number nine is emulation. The last two are quick here. Emulation, question is, will it be like Christ? Will it be like Christ? First John chapter 2, verse 6, love this. Um, the one who says he abides in Christ ought to himself walk in the same manner as he walked. That's the goal of the Christian life, is to be as much like Jesus as humanly possible. To think like Jesus, to act like Jesus, to talk like Jesus, smell like Jesus, right? You want to be like Jesus. WWJD, right? Some of us wore that bracelet for a while. What would Jesus do? And so the question is, can you, can you see Jesus doing this, whatever this is? Can you see Jesus going to that, watching that, drinking that, smoking that, eating that, saying that, listening to that, buying that? So will it be like Jesus? And then lastly is exaltation. Exaltation and uh, the, the, really the, the foundational question, the ultimate question that we should always ask ourselves about everything, and that is, will it glorify God? Will it glorify God? 1 Corinthians 10, 31, and this is all at the end of this discussion about gray areas, starting in verse 23, uh, about our conscience and things like that. Verse 31, whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, in other words, whatever you decide to do, in these gray areas, do all to the glory of God. So the goal of our lives should be not to please ourselves, but to please the Lord. Will this be pleasing to God? Can you thank him for it? Can you ask him to bless it? One of the things I love to do is ski. And so ever since I started skiing, I've got this thing that when I get on the lift, on that first ride up the mountain that day, Whoever's in that ski lift with me, usually somebody I know, uh, I say, hey, let's pray. And, and it's just a prayer of gratitude. It's a prayer of thank you, God. This is amazing that we get to be out here and, and enjoy your creation and that you uh, gave somebody the wisdom to strap on some pieces of wood to their feet and go down a hill, right, that's really fun, and, uh, or, or one piece of wood for the, you snowboarders out there, right, um, and, and we can thank the Lord. And Lord, would you, be, would you be glorified today as we do this? That it wouldn't be about us, you know, but it'd be about you and that we could, uh, you know, show you, show your glory. We would see your glory. We'd show your glory to those around us, be a good witness for Christ. So will it glorify God? So I want to encourage you to keep this list of 10 principles and, and look back over it on a regular basis, keep it somewhere handy uh, so it becomes a part of your thinking so that before you do anything, you get in the habit of asking yourself these kinds of questions, okay? And really what these questions do is they really serve as a grid. Uh, you could call it a gray area grid where you take something and you just kind of want to pass it through this grid. And, you wanna, if it, and if it makes it through these 10 questions, then do it to the glory of God. But if it gets hung up somewhere 
along the way, maybe it's not something that you should be doing. I personally have found that, that when I prayerfully apply these principles to a particular gray area in my life, it, it quickly becomes black and white to me, what I should do and what I shouldn't do. And, uh, and let me just, again, say this. As we all seek to sort out these things for ourselves, because we're all in process here, trying to work these things out in our own minds, and our, our own lives, and our own consciences, let's be sure to show each other grace in the gray areas. Like that famous statement, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, and in all things, what? Charity, grace. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these helpful verses and these helpful principles, these helpful questions that we can ask ourselves to determine would be most pleasing to you and what would bring you the most honor and glory and what would help us most become more like Christ and grow into the image of Christ and uh, to be a light for Christ. And so, Lord, I pray that you would just help us to continue to uh, make life less and less about us and more and more about Christ. And that would help us as we grapple with these gray areas. And so, Lord, would you um, help us, uh, maybe most of all, just to be gracious towards one another and to not be legalistic and judgmental and critical, but that we would show one another the grace that we've been shown in Christ. Um, and so, Lord, uh, I pray for those that maybe today are, are trapped in some habit, that they are addicted or controlled by something, that you would, Lord, be gracious to them and help them to, to be able to break that habit. Uh, with the help of your word and your spirit and uh, that they would maybe confide in someone in their grow group as they discuss this message today or this week, um, Lord, or maybe with their spouse or their parent or their um, person who's discipling them, Lord, that they would get help this week, get free, truly free uh, from bondage to anything uh, in their life, I pray in Jesus' name, amen.